All right, three, two, one. Oops. Battle, you are way off. <laughs> I, I fucking hate this program. <laughs> like, so many technical di- difficulties. Like, why Stop is this? That. Technical difficulties? Yes. Stop that. I hear I'm chatting. Welcome to the premiere of season five of Bra is a Murder. I got five on it. Wait, it's season <laughs> five already? Yeah, it's season five. Yes, yeah, quick math, season five. We're back. It's February. Love is in the air. So is Battle's beautiful mane. I've gotten better at doing my hair. Um, I looks, still want to get like amazing. locks. I'm gonna put my locks back in. He's he's done being the thick haired bitch. He's he's tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> the maintenance got too much for him. It is it's, a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> beauty is pain, and beauty is everything. But yeah, so this episode we're diving into some crusty history because <laughs> the more you look back, the more shit you unravel, and it's good to talk about those things. Because it's good to know, so we don't keep doing the shit in the future. Oh, I didn't even say it. In a rare browser of murder, we give you true complications of color and play you music from artists you probably didn't hear of. Because I have really good taste, if you haven't noticed yet. <laughs> and don't tell me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so, who wants to start off? Battle? I will, yeah. Hey, hello, everyone. I hope Hi. you're all doing well. Are you all doing well? Gosh, I haven't seen you all in such a long time. Oh yeah, you haven't. You've been uh, yeah, you've been sick, sick. doing shit. Yes, two COVID <laughs> cases later. Yeah, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, he's just stacking them up. Yeah, it's, so I haven't got I haven't gotten COVID once yet. I feel like yeah, the last cast member in The Walking Dead. I'm sweating. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, like, I'm just waiting for it to come. Yeah. Oh, I meant I meant two as in him and me. So, I know it's been a long time since we've all been together. To bring you true crime spent- cases of color, which I'm super excited about, by the way. You got them chap lips. Mm-hmm, I really do. It's <laughs> cold over here. It's dry in my house. I have humidifiers going, but whatever. So over the short break, I was able to enjoy life a little bit, you know? I don't know if you all were, but I enjoyed so much life. <laughs> life is pain. Okay. So... <laughs> During our little time off, I did a lot of self-reflection on how I can do better, and I want to try to do better when it comes to giving cases and giving feedback or talking about history, so here's to doing better. And with that, today we are going to take a dive into racial violence and brutality in the United States. Of course, our listeners know that I love understanding like the history or why something happens. And if this is your first time, welcome to the show. I'm Battle, and sit back and enjoy what we have to offer today. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was me sitting back. I'm about to say, <laughs> you don't get to sit back, you son of a bitch. I'm just kidding. You're not a son of a bitch. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> you 
You're so cute. Thank you. Stop. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Not me being like other girls. <laughs> So these tendencies of ultraviolence started well before the Declaration of Independence was signed. So we need to thank 1500s. And during these times, different countries embarked on journeys across the world, finding new territories and raping, killing, and pillaging, pillaging along the way. The 1600s, the 1700s, 1800s, and part of the 1900s, slavery well, what we think of slavery was still around. With slavery came a different types of punishment. And we think, and when we think of the abolishment of slavery, we thought, or people thought, there was going to be a changing of tides, but that wasn't the case. What went from beatings and being taken away from your family and sold off eventually turned into indentured servitude, which, if you didn't know what indentured servitude is, it's pretty much cheap a cheap form of labor, you know, kind of like our prison systems today. It's slavery, but with extra steps. Yes. <laughs> and I just want to be clear, like a side note, I'm not saying that prisoners don't deserve some type of punishment. I'm just saying that prisoners are being exploited and there are different, different ways or types of or there are different types of like prisoners from petty theft serving and serving life sentence from that or brutally raping someone and being set free three months later, Brock Turner, but whatever. Um, oh. And also I don't you, think some prisoners do deserve mind reader, punishment. dude. <laughs> I, know, I, I thought the same thing. I was like that blonde motherfucker still yeah. out here walking the streets. Uh-huh. Where's Batman when you need him? So, I know I'm, it may sound like I'm rambling about random things, but it's not random. Once we actually get past this idea of indentured servitude, people were able to be treated with more rights and treated with treated equally, right? Well, no, that's when lynching started. So we all know with the ratification of the 13th Amendment, things were supposed to get better, and that obviously wasn't the case. Because once slavery was abol abolished towards the end of the Civil War era, these public lynchings started to happen. This comes to no surprise that even though many people, many different people were expo exposed to this type of hyperviolence that is lynching, we all know that there was a disproportionate amount of lynchings against people of color, specifically black people. There are places like Holly Springs National Forest that hold a lot of tragic history in that there is an area in that that national forest, according to a former Klansman, that they used to refer to as nigger bottom because a black man was thrown, and I quote, down deep into the swamp. Yes. That's one hell of a name. I don't think they got really creative with that, but no, not at all. But well, they're not really known for creativity. Their creativity. Is not their yeah. forte, yes. <laughs> Except for I guess in like torture. Yep. In the show notes, I will have a photographic essay written by Anthony Karen entitled "The Hanging Tree," which talks about different lynchings that happen throughout time. Trigger warning for that essay there are a lot of graphic photos and it's sad however it's an important essay to look at 
But we have moved past lynching, right? Or has it just become something different, something more public, something more accepted? So finally, before the gang starts their cases, there's this idea that incarceration is something that is somehow equitable among all people. So everyone gets treated fairly in the justice system. But, again, not necessarily true. According to an article called The Color of Justice, Racial, and Ethnic Disparity in State Prisons, which is research done by the Sentencing Project, at the national level, black people are incarcerated at a rate of 4.8 times higher than white people, where N Latinx individuals are 1.3% higher than white people also when bringing up these numbers talked when bringing up these numbers i've talked with people and some people have said well black on black crime is an abundance and the latin community or spanish community are bringing drugs into the united states you know the drug cartels they they, they're deserving of this but I looked at some data, and in FBI's data, circa 2019, they did an expanded homicide data table. So they looked at data of different races. They had some sample size, and they looked at the race of the victim versus the race of the offender. And in their data, there are 3,299 white people that were murdered, and they were murdered by 2,594 other white people. Now let's look at the flip side. In that same data, there were 2,906 black people that were murdered, and they were murdered by 2,574 other black people, which shows that these two numbers, while the sample size is whatever they're using, whatever the FBI is using, it still proves that when it comes to black-on-black -black crime, it's just as bad as white-on-white -white crime. So, it's not a thing. Get over it, white people. Yeah, and something we also, see like a lot in the show, where it's like, it's proximity. It's mainly just like proximity. If you live in an all-black area... Yeah. Well, and like, the irony is, too, is that, like, we, we distinguish black-on-black -black crime... But white on white crime is just fucking true crime. Like the entire true crime genre. <laughs> yeah, yes, just, essentially. Thank you. 100%. Yeah, white on white crime is just crime. But it's like, it's if you live in an all white neighborhood and you're a white guy, you're more likely to commit a crime against another white guy mm. because they're in your area. You probably have more of an opportunity to commit a crime against another white guy who like lives down the street from you. Well, and we've talked about it before when there's like race riots. Um, it's typically a group has to go across the city into another location to do that. They have to travel to commit those crimes because of yeah. segregation. So finally, when it comes to crime, it's universal. But what's not universal is fair treatment and justice. Today, our team is going to take a look at different types of cases that coincide with each other in that not everyone had fair treatment and justice in these cases. So, Kelly, are you ready yes. to take a stab? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, 
Well, and the thing too, like, ironically enough, is that as far as when you bring up lynching, the majority of cases of lynching usually stem from a white woman accusing a black man of assaulting her. My case is about Frank Embry, who in on January 22nd, 1899, he was lynched by an angry white mob in the town of Fayette, Missouri. He was 19 years old, and the girl that accused him was a four, was 14 years old and said she had been assaulted on a secluded country road where there were no witnesses. It was only on the day of his lynching did she positively ID him specifically as the person who assaulted her. And so Embry was originally from the same county as Fayette, but had relocated with his immediate family to Kansas. He was pinned for the assault while visiting his uncle as fitting the general description of the assailant. While being extradited back to Fayette his, um, for his trial, he was inter intercepted by the horde of people. He was stripped and whipped over a hundred times being coerced into confessing. And then when he could no longer take the abuse, he said he would confess on the condition of a quick execution instead of being burned alive. After that one small mercy was granted, he conceded and was swiftly hung. And they took pictures throughout. They took pictures of him before he was killed and after and made fucking postcards of it. Okay, wait. It's, uh, it happened in my case too, and it's Which, a weird thing. Wait, it postcards? Yeah, it's no, a yeah. common it occurrence. It is a tradition, the, yeah. like South. Like, look what we did. Yeah, which like is insane to me because, like, even I mean, granted, even if I totally hated someone and was like not upset about their death, I can't imagine having a fucking postcard. picture of it yeah. to, as a keepsake. Well, in but. the world that that creates in my mind is you either have people who live far away from you in the same country that want to see that kind of content because they're interested in it, or you're going to use it as an intimidation tool. You're going to like post it in your, uh, you know, gas station on the side of the road. So, you know, anyone who walks in and sees those postcards knows the kind of power position that they are in, in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I didn't think about that, but. Obviously, there wasn't a ton of information because it's not like people keep good records of those things. But I did find an original article from that same year about it. But like, I don't know, like two or three months later. And like, it's just, well, I mean, obviously, it's insane to see the way that it is written and what specifically it chooses to like embellish or maybe not embellish, but like bring emphasis to. Yeah, like looking at like newspaper articles from like back in the day, they took a lot of creative liberties. <laughs> like journalism back then is not what it is today. Like they would say whatever. Oh yeah, but it's interesting too. Which like the the phrases with which they choose to emphasize, like even the way in which the article was written. Hold on, there's one specific line in it where it was basically like talking about how he was standing there being whipped and not making a sound or like reacting at all and then like in the middle of the sentence this one phrase gets its own line in all caps saying the blood ran down or whatever and it was like like you're like this is just like a clear enjoyment of what's happening like it's not 
You're not reporting, you're taking pleasure in this. These instances of lynching and all like, it's almost a pillar of what has is a part of our country, what has created our country. Black men accused of assaulting white women are often used as a linchpin for a disproportionate amount of violence against black people, ranging from the murder of a specific man all the way to the massacring of an entire city. So while stealing their wealth and burning everything to the ground, we have instances like Frank, um, Jesse Washington, which the details of that are just fucking above and beyond. And then Emmett Till to the Tulsa race massacre and the massacre in Rosewood, Florida, which I'm pretty sure I covered in a previous um, yeah. episode. And, but that's, and that's just to name a few. So. Something that like you're kind of touching on here is that like, I think everyone has heard the case of Emmett Till. Like even mm-hmm. if you're, you know, someone who's not interested in racial justice at all, you've probably heard of that case before. So it kind of creates this like false sense of scarcity. Like that was a rare scenario, but it like every county has their own Emmett Till or their own, you know, similar scenario that played out. Like this was not an uncommon occurrence. And and and, and the thing, sorry, real quick. The thing too, is that we, we treat it as like, like with the pictures of Emmett Till, I mean, even the pictures that they show of Frank Embry, oh, it was this long time ago, but like, Mm -hmm. I know that Frank Embry's life overlapped with like my great grandmother who I met. That's not, we're not that far removed. Emmett Till died in our parents' fucking lifetime, or at least my parents' lifetime. Mm-hmm. So these things are not that far away from us. They just, I mean, it's like the whole thing. They put them in black and white, the pictures, so that it seems so much farther away than it is. There's some cases right now of some potential lynchings that took place at like sleepovers or parties. Um, that I think our group should cover. I'm still trying to gather some info on them. Still a modern issue, too. It is. Since 1865, when slavery was actually abolished, there's been over 4,000 documented cases of lynching. There's one back in 1998 of James Byrd Jr., which that's a case that I'd want to cover later, but it's very, it's, it still happens, and it happens like in our life, or happened in our lifetime, so... That's just food for thought for people. I mean, even Ahmaud Arbery, his, like, what happened to him counts as a modern day lynching. It's not in the context that we usually think of them, but it is. Yeah. And I think there was another case about those, like, uh, the black men of Florida. It was like, happened last year where, like, a group of white guys came up to him and his friends, like, attacked them and, like, tried, like, lynching a dude. Jesus like, Christ. Yeah, he survived, thankfully, and uh, took the people to court. And I don't know if he won that case or not. I'll look that up, but I think the case is still ongoing. And now, a short commercial break. No, lynchings still happen, and a lot of what you said kind of touches upon my case. There's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. And my case is about, you know, the, the Nielsen family. So it started with a desperate move to feed a starving family. Austin Nielsen stole a cow, which, you know, isn't good, but it shouldn't warrant you spending three years in prison and a mob of 40 men coming to lynch your wife and 14-year-old son. It's a cow. Like, <laughs> well, any reason, you know. Any Yeah, any reason, really. So on May 2nd, 1911, 35-year-old Deputy Sheriff George H. Looney formed a posse consisting of him, 
Constable Cliff Martin. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this name. Claws Literary. <laughs> it's just a weirdly spelled last name. And Oscar Lane to serve a warrant to Austin Nielsen over the alleged stolen cow. They arrived to the Nielsen's farm around 9 p.m. to read the warrant, and they found the remnants of a cow that was eaten and killed on the farm's property. So it's typically that they did steal the cow, but at the same time, it's to feed your starving family. So I'm like, I wouldn't be that upset over a stolen cow. Now, when the men entered the home, Looney told Constable Martin to unload the shotgun that was hanging on the family's wall. Now, this is where I was had to read a couple of different articles because the different news articles that reported on this each spun the story in like different ways. So I'm basically kind of join in two different articles and show you like who said like how they kind of described the whole scenario differently. So now. Before grabbing a rifle hidden in a trunk, according to the newspaper The Independent, Lauren Nielsen, Austin's wife, who was also described in the newspaper as very small, very short, very black, about 35 and vicious. And yeah, that's just a lot. That's a hell of a description to give somebody. Just very small, very black and vicious. See, that's, that's the thing that if I read in someone's Instagram bio, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, dog. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I'm, but I'm like, that, as soon yeah, as same. it's like someone else looking in saying that about someone, I'm like, the, oof. Hmm, the, like I'll put that as my Twitter bio. Kinda, yeah. Has a like, bad taste. Very small, very black and very vicious is something that I would put in my Twitter bio. <laughs> but that's, or like, but can, call me. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's a very good description of battle. Actually, <laughs> small in stature, about thirty-five years old and vicious. <laughs> yeah. So they reported that she had apparently reached for a rifle as the people went and go grab the shotgun, and when she reached for the rifle, she said, "Look here, boss. That gun belongs to me." LD, her son who was described by the same newspaper as about 16, rather yellow, ignorant, and ragged. They said that he grabbed another rifle simultaneously in defense. So a struggle happened, and the gun accidentally went off with a round grazing Constable Martin's leg and hitting Officer Looney in the abdomen. He stumbled outside and collapsed on the ground, dying. So now, according to a competing article... I mean, in the newspaper, the ledger said that LD, the son, grabbed the rifle, loaded it, and fired it at the officers. Austin then took the gun and tried shooting a different cop. A gunfight ensued with Looney hiding outside behind a wagon, not knowing that he was hit in the abdomen and he started bleeding. When he asked for help, Laura came outside and yelled, let the white bitch die, which she did. <laughs> And they described, and that newspaper described this case as one of the most cold-blooded murders that happened in Oklahoma at the time. I mean, it's specifically not cold-blooded, though. They came yeah. into the home armed, and then it got heated, and they, you know, it ended in death. And, and it, it both described it in, a, I mean, both were described in two different ways. One making her the family seem more like the aggressors and... One making them seem kind of just like clumsy. the aggressors in their house. Yeah. Oh, weird. and it's like <laughs> yeah, and it's like either, <laughs> way you, it's like either way you spin this, you, the people the posse doesn't look good. Like you just came in there and started like taking shit. Yes, like, please, someone come into my house. 
Like if forty to see if I will act in my way. home, I would also be pretty <laughs> apprehensive about them coming inside. Yeah, that's the thing I've noticed too in a lot of like descriptions of like these instances is that the people describing it play both sides. It's like, oh, well, they were vicious and they were like strong and whatever, but then they're like, oh, but they, you know, they're stupid or whatever. It's like, yeah. which is, are, are, are these people overpowering and scary or are they like clumsy and dumb? Yeah. You can't, it's, you can't play it both ways. This is very biased journalism. <laughs> like yeah. when you're calling someone ragged and vicious, like you, you kind of showing your cards there. Austin admitted to the theft of the cow, saying that he needed food for his family. His account of the event aligned with most of the witnesses with slight variations than what the newspaper said, obviously. Austin claimed that he was the one who yelled out about the shotgun and that Laura was trying to take the rifle away from her son before it went off. So basically his story is the son got aggressive when they took the shotgun off the wall and the wife tried to get the rifle her son was holding out of his hand to de-escalate the situation and it accidentally went off hitting one person which seems reasonable like a reasonable I say, that seems much more likely yeah yeah and if he's admitting to this i don't know why he would have to lie so now at the trial austin pled guilty to larceny he went there he, he was sentenced to prison for three years in a state prison farther away which actually saved his life now, Laura and LD were held in a county jail where the jailer made claims of Laura being quote unquote bad and even at one point attacking him and trying to grab his gun to escape. It also should be noted that Laura was, while she was in prison, taking care of a baby that was abandoned in prison and actually nursing the baby too. So she was, she found a baby in prison and was taking care of it as though it was her own, but yet Apparently, she also was trying to escape and attacking officers to try to grab the guns. How did you just find a baby in prison? What? Yes. That wasn't just that. Was that yeah, that wasn't really said. It, said that, yeah, it just kind of said that there was a baby in prison that was abandoned. It's just and I just she, walked into my cell and I checked out of the bed. And, and there's a baby yeah. down here. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Another woman who was uh, in a cell across from her also attested to the fact that, like, yeah, she was just taking care of this baby the whole time she was in there, like. You seem like a sweet woman. But yeah, I don't know who just abandons babies in prisons. So now... Or who imprisons a baby. Oh, it could have been that. (laughs) It could have been a baby imprisonment. What did that baby do? (laughs) A baby was hard. Had a little little blood drop. Yeah, The baby was a crip. So now on May 25th, 40 men arrived to the jail at midnight, ambushing and blindfolding the jailer, and I don't really believe this. I think that the jailer was in on it <laughs> and just kind of like played the part and allowed them to blindfold and hand tie him. So I looked not suspicious. But these people came in and they kidnapped Laura, LD the son, and the baby in Laura's care. The three were taken over to the North Canadian River where Laura, where Laura was raped and LD was brutalized while bound. Both were then lynched off the side of the bridge. Their bodies hanging were photographed, and these photos, like Kelly's case, were used as postcards, which was very typical back then. And these postcards were passed around, and are even still available online to see, if you really want to go see them. I mean, I'll put a link in the show notes, but they're kind of graphic. Well, very graphic. Now, their bodies 
were eventually cut down the following morning and no relatives were around to claim the bodies. According to a witness, the baby was left on the bridge apparently unharmed and was taken into town and adopted. And uh, according to all like accounts, the baby grew up and lived like a normal life in that town. Did the baby know about the past? I I don't know. There was no I was name. Say, I, ca- I kind of want to see a movie about that person growing. Like yeah, like how do you? I, uh, the only pieces like I could find were people witnesses saying that like yeah, the boy who found and helped cut down our bodies is the one who took the baby in the town. And just gave it up. And they didn't give a name for the infant or whatever. They just said that they grew up having a normal, happy life. So, I mean, that's one hell of an origin story, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) That is. So now, this was one of the most brutal lynchings in Oklahoma history. And lynchings are a part of America's very dark history. It's It's not something that we should, like, shy away from. But, like, address and remind people that it's not okay. So that we can keep going forward and progressing it's like the irony is lynching is as american as apple pie at the end of the day yeah and the thing too that like i don't know about i I haven't seen the pictures from your case but the ones from mine and some of the other ones that i've seen it's like yeah you see this horrific scene and then all these white people just smiling like they're at the fucking county fair isn't that so weird like they're very proud of it yeah, it's disgusting. I just, I can't imagine. I don't know. I don't understand either. And, you know, I know people that have ties to certain, like, groups when it comes to that stuff. And they talk about it like, yeah, this is in my family. And it it's not, they don't sound like they are ashamed of it, but almost, and like, gloatful. Yeah, like, they d- it's so weird. And it's so weird that people are comfortable with this part of their family tree it'd be something well, that is, i'd like, be disgusted no, with no pun intended right yeah yeah. Ooh, yeah yeah um but the thing too is it's like every i mean in my experience everybody whenever you have these kinds of conversations every single person is like well that wasn't my family and it's like how do you know like that yeah. could have been your grandparents you know, right. like literally, it was, again, it wasn't even that long ago. You really you have you have no way of knowing that your family was not involved, right? Well, like, and why would you make that claim? If you guys saw it, um, it was like last September, and I I've heard some things about it being kind of dubious, but there was that viral TikTok that was going around of this nurse who was talking about how uh, one of her COVID patients, who was definitely like going to die admitting that she had accused someone of touching her and therefore that boy a child got lynched and admitting to it and then saying that like she was seeing him around her hospital room what the fuck yeah i don't know i mean like just as an example that like Again, I don't know, I don't know the veracity of that story because that video was taken down, but it went widely around and it's like if this woman is dying of COVID and she's admitting to that, it wasn't that long ago. You know, yeah. like these people are still <laughs> alive. Decades ago. Well, like Ruby Bridges. I mean, like the first girl to be integrated into a white school. She's the same age as my parents. Like, I don't know. Sorry. Okay. And rant. 
the uh, and if you guys get the chance today, you should go look up Billie Holiday's um, rendition of the song Strange Fruit. Uh, it's very, very, very powerful, and it's about lynching, obviously. Okay, well, I think I found a TikTok. Would you Would you want to watch it real quick? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I know it was taken down on TikTok, but TikTok, but I'm sure it exists in other forms. Something really heart wrenching to me. She told me that when she was a teenager, she told her mother that one of the local black boys had touched her behind the grocery store. And in 1936, Louisiana, this was a very big deal. Not only was this boy lynched, but he was beaten. And his genitals were cut off. Oh my god. And then the family home was burned to the ground. And she watched it all happen. You want to know why? Because she saw that his sisters had prettier dresses than she did. And she just didn't like it. So she lied. And then it clicked. This same woman had been hallucinating for the past couple of days, saying that there was a black boy in her room watching her. Would not stop staring at her. And she was scared shitless. She asked if she could be forgiven. I told her the only person who could forgive her was the boy she killed. Not sorry. Okay, that was... That's so crazy. I feel like I've heard of that. I don't know. That sounds so familiar. Maybe because I, something like that has happened and someone else has come forward. I think but it was mostly of, uh, the, the lady who uh, finger-pointed Emmett Till. When she, a couple a couple years ago when she came out before she died. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And part of those like s- stories are really cathartic because I, I love to think that the people who did that are, are like eaten by that guilt their entire yeah. lives. Um but not all of them, clearly. Yeah. Although I will say the the way in which she tells that story kind of gives yeah. me a little pause. Yeah, it did feel very like social media. Yeah, the whole the la- the, yeah, the, the last bit it was like, I don't feel bad about it. I'm not like other girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Robert, you want to bring us home? Kick it off. Yes. So we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, uh, private violence, you could say, versus public violence, public being run by the state. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, slavery within the United States as it exists today in the form of prison labor. Um, so Battle earlier mentioned that the 13th Amendment freed people from slavery. And the 13th Amendment reads, uh, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. That middle part, that unless you've been convicted of a crime, many people have theorized was put there specifically because there was concern that the production in the U.S. would drop too significantly. Because when people say that America was built on slavery, it was built on slavery. All of the money coming in, the workforce of you know people you didn't pay was huge. The South could not operate effectively without free labor or indentured labor. And one thing that I found while I was doing my research is that overseers and plantations found that freedmen were less efficient than enslaved men because you were not allowed to beat freemen. So, you know, you could have an overseer driving a slaved workforce to work harder and harder and harder. Um, but you couldn't do that with free men. So they were less efficient because 
the freedmen would be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work at a comfortable pace. I'm going to do my own thing. And then if not, I'll just leave. So this issue of being able to impose violence on a person to make them more productive was then carried into our prison system through prison labor and work as a punishment for crime has been a thing pretty much since the beginning of time. I was trying to find a good like start of it, but people typically are, have said like, this goes back to like, you know, tribal councils saying, Hey, you need to repent for your sins and like work for the community to like earn your space among us. So that concept has been around for a very long time. It boomed in popularity after the 13th amendment because we were trying to replace a workforce in the United States. And in the United States, we have two forms of prisons. We have private prisons and public prisons. So again, that's either run by a private company or run by the U.S. government. A private prison is still funded by the U.S. government. So they'll enter into a contract. They'll say, okay, we will have X amount of inmates housed for this rate for this period of time. And the government says, okay, here's your millions of dollars because we don't want to pay for it. You can do it cheaper than we can. So it just makes sense from a taxing perspective for you, the private company, to do this. The unfortunate aspect about that arrangement, though, is that the private company is then incentivized to make it as cheap as possible to house someone. So they do this by cutting uh, medical facilities. They do this by cutting recreational facilities or education opportunities. And instead creating labor opportunities. It is legal for them to take portions of the money raised by prisoners to pay for the expense of housing the prisoners. So these companies are paid by the U.S. government to house prisoners. They then put these prisoners to work, and then they take often the majority of the money that that prisoner would be entitled to to compensate themselves for the cost that the U.S. government already paid them for. The two largest private prison companies in the U.S. are the CCA and the GEO. And then Unicor is the government-controlled and operated labor, prison labor group. And inmates uh, receive approximately four cents for each dollar uh, in sales revenue, which is primarily used to repay financial obligations. So for every dollar that is made by these prisoners in value, in sales revenue, they only see about four cents of it. And that four cents is used to pay financial obligations, which is typically the cost of their imprisonment. I can't even pay for my own hot Cheetos in prison. Like, what the fuck? No. Well, it's actually interesting that you bring that up. Like, if, you, if you've watched any, like, uh, media around prisons, you know that there's a really large informal economy mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yeah. prison system. I highly so recommend people... watching 60 Days in Oh, my gosh. I, wait, Melinda and I are in six, season six. I love that show. (laughs) So basically people will trade, you know, favors, food items, drugs, whatever they can, because they don't have cash. They're not allowed to have cash in prison. So often that's done through commissary goods. Uh, And commissary goods are only purchasable if you have someone who's funding your commissary account or if you have a prison job that is funding your commissary account. And the way that prisons can you know, also be a part of this informal economy is by setting the commissary markup. Because out in the real world, you know, we pay 50 cents for a small bag of Cheetos or whatever it is. But those companies, there is no uh, price protection for prisoners. 
Oh, wow. Uh, so they can set those prices whatever they want. Uh, and it's their only access to anything that isn't prison food yeah. in a poorly run private prison. So they will pay pretty much anything, especially when those goods are their only way of uh, feeding their addiction in operating within the informal economy, paying for protection. All of that is run through commissary typically. So the prison is directly contributing to that informal economy uh, by setting those prices. Which also so, a fun fact real quick. <laughs> in women's prisons, you have to pay through commissary for your um, menstrual products. Things that you can't not have. So if you don't have money for it, you're just fucked, I guess. This yeah. is, that's ridiculous. That's it's. That's Wait, one so thing they, that they some, don't like provide you with like tampons or nothing. Nope, you gotta buy them. They talk about some of the women on sixty days in. They talk about not getting like feminine products like that. That I'm a dumbass. They I need. thought they meant like I thought they meant like specific ones, like a specific brand they wanted to buy. No, no, they don't. Nope. I didn't even think any menstrual products. That's, that's it's so inhumane how women are treated in prisons and jails. Because they don't have the basic necessities that they need, which is mm-hmm. to stay hygienic. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's ridiculous. Well, and not being able to maintain hygiene because even if it's just something as small as you have to pay for deodorant, and that's not something you can afford in prison, um, can damage the relationships you have with your cellmates, with the people around you. You're always navigating interpersonal violence potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's uh-huh. just what we know. Like that's yeah, just exactly. what we know about. That doesn't mean that's not everything that goes on behind mm-hmm. closed doors. Yeah, when it, when the A and E cameras aren't there. Yeah. We all know that prison in the US is a very violent, chaotic place. And we know that it pushes people closer to a life of crime than away from it. You know, that's where a lot of people make their gang connections. That's where people, yeah. you know, fully commit to a life for protection or for whatever it may be. Well, like, they just um, that, or like well, form those family bonds. <laughs> Cause like, that's all they have at that point. The irony too, is, is that that's exactly the way that they want it to work. They want you to keep reoffending so that they have more prison labor. Yes. There is a, what's called a perverse incentive. Um, because a lot of the contracts that private prisons have are based on inmates per period of time. Uh, so, you know, ideally they, get you more charges while you're in prison or guarantee that you come back. So the way they can make sure you get more charges in prison are by uh, creating a chaotic environment where you will get into fights with people. Because if you're getting into a fight with a person and it's documented, it's it's assault charge. And that adds more time onto your sentence. And that keeps more people in their beds that they are getting paid by the government and that is generating income for them. Because prison labor generates billions of dollars every year. You know, companies like Amazon, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, Walmart are all engaging in this very, very cheap labor force. And private prisons are marketing it as, hey, don't send your work abroad. Keep it in the USA and have our slave labor do it. You know, they can inmates make anywhere from a couple of cents to minimum wage. But again, they don't get all of that. That is taken by the prison to pay for their uh, expenses. Uh, and the only reason that some jobs are offered minimum wage is because unions have pressured prisons to say, 
you know, if there is a job that is being done locally, you have to at least pay minimum wage so it's not competing against our business interests. You know, minimum wage is six or seven dollars. Um, seven twenty-five. Seven twenty-five. Okay, cool. Again, and how the fuck is that sentiment. minimum wage? Because no one can live off that. That's not a livable wage. It's just what is set that they say that's the minimum have to be. But most companies, well, I know companies here they pay more than that, but it's still yeah, not I a livable I was looking wage. it up. The lowest amount of for like a livable wage, I think, it's somewhere in California, like thirteen an hour. You would have to make to have like a livable, livable wage there, and that's like the lowest end. Yeah, that's no, no, no fucking shot in hell. I've been looking for houses and stuff out there, and yeah, and it hasn't changed in the last ten years, despite the fact that the cost of living has like doubled in that time. So this union pressure for minimum wage. Uh, has been amazing for prisons, essentially, because they can just say, well, sorry, Victoria's Secret, we have to pay them minimum wage now. Uh, so they get to take off a bigger cut of how much that prisoner gets, because they're like, okay, well, you were, I was cutting off a piece of your $1, and now I get to cut off a piece of your $7. There are prison advocate groups that are trying to improve the relationship with work, because there are some indicators that say that having a job in prison has a small effect on recidivism. I saw lots of conflicting information on this. One that I did find that was the effects of prison labor on institutional misconduct, post-prison employment and recidivism stated, participation in prison labor significantly improved post-prison employment outcomes but it yielded mixed results for prison misconduct and had little overall impact on recidivism. The best outcomes were observed for those who spent a greater portion of their overall confinement time working a job in prison. So, it helps you get a job when you get out, if you get out, and it doesn't stop you from going back, typically. And if you are a person who, you know, can't participate in the informal economy of prison, you're most likely going to become a target because you can't pay for protection or whatever it may be. So all of this violence that we are subjecting people, you know, we obviously we could just assume at this point, but it does disproportionately affect people of color. Even straight out of the 13th Amendment, people were being arrested for things like loitering and just being thrown in prison, putting on put on a chain gang to go do prison labor. So were these crimes that technically existed yeah, maybe, but in no world would you give a person loitering prison sentence. And also keep in mind the war on drugs. You had people going away for 30 years plus for dealing crack cocaine, even though they had enough for personal use. Whereas you had people like uh, Brock Turner, who again, <laughs> three months in prison on a six-month prison sentence for raping an unconscious woman. And the big difference here being that the people who used crack cocaine were black and a Brock Turner's white man. Yeah. So the justice system has set itself up to target, inadvertently or not, to target people of color, and the prison system has set itself up to increase recidivism and harvest as much value you can out of a prisoner. And those two things in conjunction create slavery for marginalized groups of people in the United States. Backbone of the American economy. Yes. You son of a bitch, I'm in. You son of a bitch, I'm in. 
<laughs> no, it's 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 disgusting, especially when it comes to just people getting out on the other end of it. Because like, where's the hope at? Well, I mean, there's no, there is no any type. That, what is the word I'm looking for? Hope. No, <laughs> there is no hope. There's. <laughs> They don't help them. They don't do any type of, geez, why am I having such a hard time? Rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. Yes. There's no type of rehabilitation in our prison systems. And if it, there are, it's probably a select few of people, select a group of people that get to participate in programs that actually try to enrich them. And if you look at some of the conditions these people are living in, and again, like I said at the beginning, I'm not saying that people don't deserve some type of punishment for their crimes. However, there also has to be some type of rehabilitation along with the punishment. So that way they can learn to take accountability for their actions. They could learn to process their feelings. They can learn to treat other people with dignity and respect, not just other people, ultimately the most important person is themselves with dignity and respect. So that way they can do that. And if there's no reform, there's no rehabilitation, there's no room for growth. No. Well, I think by and large, going to prison will not better you in the U.S. Yeah. Um, And ideally in my world, prison would make you a better person on the other end. You wouldn't want to commit another crime. You wouldn't want to injure another party. Yeah, you have the tools needed to like be a constructive part of society. But like that, like, that sentence sounds so crazy coming out of my mouth. Like, oh, prison should make you a better person. Like that feels so goofy and dumb saying that because in the U.S. that is not the case. Yeah, and I, I like, think I think there can be a happy medium too, whereas like those who need to be in prison can serve their time, but also get what they need to come out on the other end better than what they were when they were put in. That should be the overall goal of prison. If you're a dangerous person, we need to protect our community by, like, controlling your access to, like, movement and things like that. We should be able to do that. We should be able to say, like, okay, you know, you're clearly a violent person and, like, you can't be trusted to, like, keep track of your comings and goings, so we have to do that for you now. Like, as a society, you have to stay in this room. I think the irony too is that like like you with what you just said about prison making people better is like a crazy sentence because like on one hand yes cuz like like hearing you actually say that sounds like crazy on but on the other hand that's the lie that we're sold by like the yeah. people who are so for it and it's just it's such an interesting dynamic that like you say that most people are like well yeah prison prison doesn't make you a better person but then like politically and like on these bills and stuff that's that's what we're told it's supposed to do yeah prison isn't supposed to be fun bitch i ain't saying this should be fun yeah (laughs) learn your lesson yeah i don't who's learning a lesson about yeah exactly like also we talked just a little bit about it one of the first things that like can get downsized in a prison is recreation and medical services so like instead of having doctors and surgeons on hand you have uh, registered nurses or people who no longer have a, can practice medicine in a, a regular practice, which leads to a lot of you know misdiagnosis and injury to prisoners. And then not having access to recreation 
really affects people's mental health. And mental health in prison is a safety issue. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. if you cut I mean, the water to a prison, people are going to riot and hurt each other. Yeah. I mean, just imagine how people felt when they were in lockdown at the peak of the pandemic and they couldn't go to the gym. People, I, I remember there's a place in Jersey where people like kicked down a gym's door just to get back inside. Yeah, yeah. Well, and now imagine that same scenario, but uh, you're surrounded by people who are physically violent to you based on race. Yeah, and, and also have the same built up anger because they can't do anything other than sit in a box yep. for 23 hours. I'll probably stab a motherfucker too. Listen, and all the all the best all the best prison jobs go to the best connected gang members. Mm -hmm. So. Whatever gangs are typically divided by racial lines in prison, whatever racial population in that prison is the largest or most powerful will have the best jobs and their members get their jobs as well. So it also just like feeds into this cycle of like racial violence in prison as well. You know, don't get me started on the homophobia and transphobia in prison because. Yep, absolutely. Those minorities get no protection <laughs> other than like solitary or their own like special pod. Because I remember looking up, like, the New Mexico State Penitentiary Riot, which is considered one of the worst riots in American history. And it's like, shit like that happens, and then afterwards you're like, oh no, however did this happen? And it's like, right. like look at well, how you're treating these people. It's easy to dismiss them, and it's easy to stop to not think about them, because there's a lot of different intersections with problems like homelessness. It's yeah. out of sight, out of mind, prison systems, out of sight, out of mind, youth that are at risk, at, at risk youth, out of sight, out of mind. Like it doesn't directly affect us. However, it indirectly affects each and every one of us. Yeah. Cause when those people do get out, guess what? They're not, they're going to be doing the same shit that put them back in and your community is not going to be anything, <laughs> but like there will be no progression. Yeah. Well, and the, the school to prison pipeline. Basing um, elementary school children's grades on whether or not they're going to end up in prison. And to, to, to put a little bow. What a dystopic sentence. I know. Oh, God. And, and to try to like put a little bow in this, I do want to shout out because when you were talking about this, Robert, it kind of made me think of this one organization that provides jobs for prisoners when they come out of prison. It's a place in Philly. I've been there. It's a great pizza. It's called Down North Pizza. And their mission is to hire people coming right out of prison. They give them room and board over top of the pizza shop. They live there for like really cheap rent and then they work at a normal rate and they work there until they get their money up and can like move on from there. It's called Down North Pizza in Philly. If you're ever in Philly, wanna go check it out, go buy a slice and support the people there. The one guy, he is a, the owner is a former enemy himself. And that's why he only employs formerly incarcerated people because he knows how hard it is to like come out and try to get on your feet i think dave's killer bread does that to you or mike's yes, killer, dave's yes. killer bread? Yeah. Where's, where's that at? i think it's dave's yeah i uh, think it's, it's, a national it's a national bread, bread. yeah it's it's a little bit more expensive for the bread but like it's so good though they're they're if what they say is true what's it called again dave's killer bread uh carried by most grocery chains yeah yeah okay it's like four to six dollars a loaf but it is supposedly supports a good cause. Well, and I guarantee whatever city you live in, unless it's a smaller town, you know, so if you're in a major city, there are businesses and companies set up that are willing to hire people who have criminal records, support those businesses. 
Yeah. That, like, that is only a good thing. You can buy Dave's Killer Bread online, too. Thanks. Yeah, so if you live in a small town, you can still, you can still support, you know, that is actual rehabilitation. You know, you come out and get a job. Yeah, but I mean, hey, this is a great episode. Great conversations. We had an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But it went by so fast. I know. But yeah, so this is Bros of Murder. If you're new here, subscribe. Let us know what you think. You can find us all over the social medias. Instagram, we post shit ton of content there. Twitter, Facebook, our YouTube channels coming up soon. There's also a new app coming out soon that we're going to be on. <laughs> we'll give you the tea on that. <laughs> also, uh, check out the music at the end. And yeah, I don't have anything else to plug. Battle, do you have anything? No, I hope everyone is staying safe and hopefully we get through this crazy thing that we're going through right now. You're three of the pandy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just to let everyone know. This amount of time spent in this isolation that we're we're in, it's only three years of our lives, which in the grand scheme of thing is seconds and push through a little bit longer. Like it's very small. Like so many people have gone through so much worse their entire lives. Three years is nothing compared to how long we've been alive so far. I'm the main character. So this is torture for me. (laughs) 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 I can't progress my (laughs) storyline. Yeah, Kelly, do you have anything to plug? Nope. Rob Rat? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. You don't, you don't want to plug Freddy Versus? Sure. Listen to Freddy Versus on Spotify. <laughs> 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 we, actually, we, we actually do have a song coming out soon. There's like, so you know that like folktale of like, oh, there's a spooky ghost woman on the side of the road and you pick her up and then like you drop her off, but then you go back the next day and like, what? No, she's been dead for years. It's kind of about that, but from, like, the ghost perspective. I like that. Kind of cool. I like that. Fuck with that. That's a vibe. I, I don't know when that's getting released, though, so don't hold that to me. <laughs> Alright, but yeah. So that was the show. Hope you had fun. Kisses from the homies. I like that kisses from the homies. <laughs> I do, too. That's my favorite part. We gotta make that a regular yeah. thing. We'll make that a maze. Kisses from the homies. Time now for your latest weather forecast. You get mad when I ask what you're doing. Cut me up all night, just feeling stupid. For wondering where you are and why we play this same game every other weekend. Put my heart in the palm of your hand. Throw it all apart. Why let you do it? This is just so typical I'm sick of love
Just play this day. 